there and welcome to Thrive Church Podcast here in Puyallup, Washington. We're so glad you found us and hope you enjoy listening to this sermon of the week. Thurner here with us again. He's been, he was here a little bit over a month ago and, and uh, rocked our world then. And uh, I'm excited to have him come and minister again this morning. You guys ready for this? Yeah. I don't think they're ready. Just looking at you. Looking at you. I don't think you're ready. You better put that seatbelt on and strap in because uh, because uh, Pastor Earl is going to bring the word this morning. So, uh, oh, it's good. Love you. Love you too. Come and bring the word. I will. I was telling one guy today the one invitation I got one day when I was uh, in, I think it was Costa Rica, and the pastor got, and I met the pastor, and he said to me, um, you know, if you, if you do well tonight, you can stay. Speak a few more times. If not, you go back on a plane to Miami tomorrow. And so you, you do really well with those kind of introductions, you know. It's either like, you know, I remember I tried to be so good. You know, I tried to be so good. And I told the story of what happened. I won't tell you that story today because that will rock your world. And um, I really appreciated what this brother shared. So I'm going to pray right from where he started. I actually would love to preach on that because a life without wonders is not even a Christian life. I don't know what it is, but it's not Christianity. He said you're going to be a sign and a wonder. So if there's something in your life that's not a sign and a wonder on the good side for God, then we're not living a life. Right. A life is to be a, a lifestyle, a rhythm of the miraculous signs, wonders, interventions of God, uh, acts of God, divine in, uh, moments. That should be that Jesus paid blood for something. And that's one of the things he paid blood for, is that we would experience that kind of life as a lifestyle. And it's a choice. And, you know, and one of his names is going to be wonderful. He said, but to know his name is, his name is wonderful, Isaiah 9. His name is, shall be wonderful. Right. So, so there must be something about really knowing God where you're lost in the wonder of who he is. And the more you know God, the more full of it you become. That he's more glorious to you. All of us go through stages, as you'll find out today, where it's like this, and we kind of like are not always in that place where we're like on tiptoe, stunned by God. I like this one scripture I read years ago. I believe it was Ezra. Somebody sat down stunned. You know, the, the moment of life uh, loses its power to stun you, stupefy you, amaze you, praise God. God's about to shift things so that we can experience that. The problem with always saying some things to people is that they get condemned. But if you already know you're not condemned in Jesus Christ, how can you ever get condemned? It's just an opportunity to, for the grace of God and the power of God to latch into something that's just been revealed. That's why the beauty of living in the bosom of God and the affections of God, living in the, in the smile of God, living in it with a God who will tear down every lie, break down every wall to get at you. That's just the way he is. And he'll tear down every lie, he'll break down every wall to get to me because of his love. So that love that we're singing about is that it's a relentless love. It's a furious love. It's a deep and powerful love. It's a never-ending love. It's, it, and it's hard to believe God's that way. So there has to be a shifting in the way that we think so we can see God the way he is, so he can act the way he is, and we can become who we've always been. 
that's in Rocky World. That was pretty polite and gentle. I mean, like, uh, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? So, Lord, you are wonderful today. I love what that brother shared. Uh, absolutely, that was, the Spirit of God was in that. Because, Lord, it's not like, oh, God, please restore your wonder. Oh, God. I mean, God, you are wonderful. You are absolutely full of wonder, signs, miracles, goodness. You are so amazing. I have a wife that wakes up every day, interrupt a prayer that might be religious for some of you, but I have a wife that wakes up every day and she says to me, every day, no matter what I'm going through, where I'm at, I will say, what's your viewpoint on today? She goes, something good will happen today. Every single day she gets up. She's done it with growth sticking out of her neck, babies dying, uh, persecution, slander, difficulties, blah, 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 blah. She wakes up and says something good is going to happen today. You know, and she's a living example to me that hope is the joyful anticipation of good. You know, when the enemy can destroy your hope, he, will, he, he destroys the ability to know that something good is about to happen to you. So, Lord, we believe that's one of your wonderful acts, one of your merciful, incredible displays, oh God, that you're so good. You're so wonderful. You're full of wonder. You are wonderful. You are wonderful. Jesus, you are wonderful. We honor your name. We love you. We believe that about you. We make a decision to not live by our emotions or by our feelings and let them dictate our ability to open our mouth and declare your praises. Lord, declare your goodness, O oh Lord, to rise up and be who we say we really are before you and who you are to us. Lord, without shame, without reservation, you are wonderful. You are amazing. You are incredible. And we give you all the glory and all the praise. Thank you, Lord. You're so beautiful. You're so precious. We, we welcome your Holy Spirit. We welcome. Bienvenue, Santo Esprit. Varuamoa Harimai. Bienvenidos, Espíritu Santo. Welcome, Spirit of the Living God, today. And touch us, O oh Lord, and you will. Thank you so much, Lord. I love you so much. You're amazing. You're so wonderful. You're so absolutely wonderful. You displayed your wonders in the land of Egypt. Right in the heart of the enemy's camp, you displayed your wonders. You didn't have to wait through any promised land to start showing up and showing off. You didn't have to. That's who you are, God. We're not going to limit you through unbelief, by circumstances, by experiences, by our own education, by our own personality, by the own by things that have happened in our life. We refuse to limit you and place a boundary on the goodness and the power of you expressing yourself in any way, shape, or form to each one of us in our life. We will not limit you that you are miracle-working, dead-raising, incredible God. We will not. We will not be silent. We will make our boast in the Lord our God. You are good. The world is full of doubters, oh Lord, which we, we want to be believers in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is so good. I love Jesus. Did you just say that because that's part of your preaching? No, I love Jesus. I, um, name of the sermon is Esau, I hate Jacob, I love. And so, um, you're not going to be rewarded in heaven because of your sins. You're not going to be judged because of your sins. Jesus took care of that. But you will have an examination in heaven and it'll be a judgment not by the sins but did we receive everything he wanted to give us that's the judgment we'll have did we receive everything he wanted to give us did we become everything he wanted us to become 
also. But that, we won't do that one today. We'll do this one. Did we receive everything he wanted to give us? And, I want to, and the moment you hear that, you can go like, probably not. And then you start feeling weird. But look at it this way. You need to be positive. God's a very positive God. Okay? You can't change your beginning. You can't recapture some of the glory moments or best things of your life. Okay? You can't change your middle, but you can change your ending. And so it's not going to do you any good to think about looking back in any way, shape, or form to allow something to happen to you where you don't have faith that you can change your ending and you can finish really, really strong. Now, some of you, anybody over 50? 60? I'm glad you're over 60 because that's what you should be saying. You should be preaching up over 60 about wonders. So I'm just going to say this to encourage all of you people who say, like, I'm in the latter years of my life. I'm in the trail end of my destiny. You know, I need to get ready for heaven. If that's your thinking this morning, you will not like this message. And you will not like me. And you'll put 25 cents in the offering if you put a penny. <laughs> and you will not like this. Because to me, there's no such thing as retiring from the best times about to happen in your life. Psalm 92, 14, we'll do it for the young, over 60, over 50. You shall bring forth fruit in old age. You shall be fat and flourishing. It does not mean overweight and having a wonderful garden. It means you should be prolific, productive, full of energy, full of vitality, like a young sapling. You should be prosperous. Prolific means a lot. You should be copious in fruit. You should bring forth a lot of fruit simply because you arrived at old age. Like General MacArthur said, youth is a state of mind. It's a state of mind, and so is old age. The thing is, like, I'm 68. I just drove 600 miles yesterday. I drove 600 miles the day before with a flu. So it's kind of like when you said, you have energy this morning? I have energy this morning. Where did this energy come from? This energy came from God. Because I believe that word, and I believe that word for the last five years. When I turned 63, I read that word in a very, very, very trying and tr very, very, very intense, difficult moment in my life. And I read that word. And I shall be fat and flourishing and prolific and productive. That means all I had to do to get that promise was arrive at old age. It doesn't matter what's happened in my life before then. It doesn't matter what's happened in your life before then. So you sound kind of intense. Yes, because I'm not going to allow God to go without a testimony. I'm not going to allow God to not be known as a God of wonders. I'm not going to allow God to be shamed and his fame not known. I'm not allowing it. And the only kind of stuff I need coming into my life is stuff that will make me courageous, because stuff that will make me run uphill at an enemy. I don't need armor bearers to comfort me. I'll take an armor bearer to help me run up into an enemy's camp. I'll take somebody like that. I'll take encouragement to give me courage. I'll take someone that will challenge me to move out of my comfort zone, to walk on waves that have never been walked on, to do things that have never been done. I don't mind how many times I get knocked down. I don't mind how many times things happen in my life. I really don't care. I want to be encouraged, lifted up, and raised to go on because I'm not not going to leave this planet and leave Jesus Christ without a testimony. That's the way it's going to be. So if you say you're intense this morning, this is my, this is how I feel. So that's a message. It's the way I feel. And I have to wake up every morning just like you do. And I have to wake up, and I go through things like you do. And it's not easy. I'm, and it's not easy. I don't wake up like this. I don't feel like this. I have all kinds of things that happen in my life and your life. They have all kinds of things happening. But are we willing to not have God get a name for himself? Yes or no? That's the question. 
Just for the old people. Genesis 25, verse uh, 29 to 34. I actually read the Bible this time. So excited. I didn't even need, I didn't even need to hear an amen. I don't, I don't need to hear an amen from earth. I don't need to hear an amen. All I need to hear is an amen from God. That's all I need to hear. We've got to honor the Holy Spirit. I mean, what that brother was sharing, it's a time to turn into a wonder-working healing service right there. I just love it. By the way, let me tell you what your pastor's going to be doing. Just one thing your pastor's going to be doing in Honduras. And uh, just one thing. And uh, for at least four days... After you get the morning Devo, you get on a bus, you're going to go to a medical brigade, okay? We're going to have a this in San Pedro Sula, which was the murder capital city of the world when we went there before. 86 murders a day. 86 a day. After one nation, one day, went down to 25. That's visible shame. That's visible fruit. So that means you're going to be you're going to be a lot more protected than you were last time. You had that machine guns around you all the time to go anywhere. You probably won't have to have that this time. I'm I'm not sure, but you're going to now make your church and they make you nervous. Wow, pastor's really doing a real mission trip. He might get killed. You know, you're safer there than you are walking down the street. Sometimes don't worry about it. you're in God's will. Whenever you're on the front lines of God's will, it's the safest place to be. Doesn't matter how terrifying it is, doesn't matter what the enemy does, doesn't matter what's going on, doesn't matter what's happened before. When you're, the, when you're in God's will, you're in the safest place you can be. And you're going, you're in God's will. So there'll be hundreds of people outside of a building like this. And there'll be somebody sitting at a desk, and they'll be taking down their names. There'll be somebody inside asking them medical questions. There'll be doctors and dentists from around the world, and also from Honduras, in that facility, right? They will provide free dental and free medical to everyone that comes in, okay? After that, if they want to go to a pharmacy, we have a pharmacy. We've already bought all the medicines. So all the medicines are out there. If they want to go get medicine, um, you know, that they need to get. Many of these countries, you can get uh, ampicillin, amoxicillin, you know, penicillin. So very, very cheap, uh, metformin, diabetes medicine, right over the counter. So they don't, they don't need to have those medicines, but they're very, very, very cheap if you buy them in the country. You won't buy them in the United States. So basically, the people come in, they get treated. Free dental, uh, free medical. So my wife had a dream. And one of her dreams was that um, to release healing and miracles through the body of Christ um, extraordinarily. You know, to see others just absolutely do what's normal, heal the sick and do miracles, okay? So um, she's over the medical team. We call it a prayer, uh, a prayer healing team. So we don't just pray for the doctors, we actually heal the sick. So the way it works that the doctors will be treating the patients, and we honor every doctor and every dentist because they've been given a gift by God, and therefore there's not this like, we do miracles and they're like doctors, there's no inferior thing, it's all honor, everything is in honor, everybody on the team is in honor, there's not some Pentecostal blowout, tongues shouting, healing thing, this is quiet, this is soft, the presence of God is powerful in those rooms, because my wife is over it, and that's the way it's going to be, the presence of God comes, so the spirit of God is in that room already the touch of heaven is already there. Everybody's trained real quickly at a gospel of the kingdom. As you know, it takes about 10 minutes to teach that message and then do it. And it's kind of like, and so 
all of the people, your pastor's on that team, all John's on the team, those that have been on our team and, all, and some of the others will be in the medical brigade for four days. All you do is miracles. That's it. You got to do a four-day miracle. You don't have to do anything else, just do miracles for four days. So it's kind of, um, kind of I know it's kind of boring, you know, it might do other things, but for four straight days, but what you do, you personalize God's care. You can operate in the gifts. You'll have interpreters alongside of you. Um, you'll lead people to Jesus Christ. You'll see the, you'll see, you'll see, you'll see the beauty of God demonstrated. Then what happens, usually the doctors and the dentists, my wife works with them, and then basically they start doing it. So basically what you have is a massive explosion of the love of God, personalized and compassionate miracles, signs and wonders to hundreds of people that are walking through. If they come out, so we do it inside. I'm not in that. I'm doing other things. Um, um, if it happens inside, it happens out. Then what happens, we find out the people get so full of this thing, they go outside and meet the people before they get inside. And then they start telling him, you know, what's wrong with you? What's going on? Does not exist in heaven? Would you like me to pray for you now? So the Holy Ghost starts coming on people coming into the building, people in the building. And then when they walk outside, it keeps right on going. And then if they want to get their medicines, they're, they're totally free to get their medicines. Remember when a 70-year-old woman, she, um, she said, I was 16, I was prophesied over that I would be using miracles, and I'm 70 years old, and I haven't seen that happen yet. Can I go out? So she went to the first time we ever... Before this became part of the Missions Me manual, part of the way they do it. The way, that, the way my wife does it is now the way it's done around the world. And this lady was out there and put, yanking a woman out of a wheelchair. I mean, uh, I never forget, she walked across the street with no crutches, no nothing. And the granddaughter looked at her and goes, you're not my grandmother. You're not my grandmother because you can't walk. You're not supposed to walk if you're my grandmother. What are you doing walking? You can't be my grandmother then. I thought, what a great, great testimony that is. And so that's to excite you for next year if you want to go to Peru, you know? So then, so you can all go to Peru. And uh, what we're trying to do is unite the global church around discipling an entire nation. We're trying to unite the global church. Like all of our leaders are with Bill and Benny and all the people up there in Reading, uh, Ron Cunningham, uh, Lou Engels, uh, Daniel Kalender, the one that's following up after Bunky, and Africa. All of these guys, you know, are all now thinking of the possibility of combining. What can we do together to actually disciple an entire nation for Jesus Christ? John Bevere, all these guys, they're all trying to think of something huge like that to give an entire nation to God. Okay? If you're going to dream, don't dream small. God is not in that. God is in big dreams that make him big, that cause your identity. And I came by the, down the hallway and it said, it was a mistake in the writing. It was supposed to be teaching identity, but the T-E was gone. So I actually walked by the sign in the hall and said, aching identity. And you might say, you might say, oh no, we gotta fix it. No, you don't need to fix it because that's prophetic right there. Because so many people are aching, aching to find out who he is and who they are according to him. So I just used that. I, I didn't say, oh, they should correct that. I said, I like that. And you can have the GE later. But I'm just saying, like, if you're not aching for your identity, it's a waste of time teaching your identity because it's not valuable enough for you. Because the enemy's already lied to you so many times that you're not royalty. You're not the son of the living God. You play like a, we, we play like a, a, a widow, always about our knees instead of like a bride. 
You know, we pray a lot about our needs, which is like praying like a baby instead of like a mature son. And God wants us to begin to live for the inheritance that God has for us, that what our life can be to give Jesus everything our life can give Jesus and change our prayer life and not just meeting our needs unless those needs are going to catapult God through our life to be able to change the world. Are you okay? Yeah. It sounds exciting to me. Praise Jesus. Oh, 25, Genesis 25, 29, 34. I love you, Jesus. Now, Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with some red stew, for I am weary. The word is exhausted. The word is wearied. The word is faint. The word is thirsty. Therefore, uh, and... And therefore his name would be called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of today. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me anyway? And Jacob said, swear to me then. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The word despise means to disesteem, hold in contempt, consider worthless, and scorn it. So he had no value of what was known as the birthright. I think I did this real quick about birthright, if I can find it. The birthright in those days spoke of the estate that I'll be giving to you. In those days, it spoke about the inheritance, which was a double portion. In those days, it also stood for the priestly role, which was who he could bless in the next generation. Having the birthright meant that I have the power to leave a legacy and bless the next generation of my life. Okay? Number four, it's anything legal or judiciary of the authority that was held by the father. So it was a position of authority that the father had that he gave the birthright to the firstborn son that he could carry out all four of these things. He can affect his future. He can affect the legacy. He can stand by God for, for God for mankind. He had authority and dominion in the earth to establish covenant in the earth. Birthright was a big deal. So when you know the story, Esau was born, Jacob was born, Esau was born first. By law, he gets the birthright. Only the firstborn gets the birthright, right? So there's no way by law of God that Jacob could ever get the birthright. But he got it anyway. There's always going to be something in our life that tells us we can't really have as much as we think we really can have because of this, because of that. This was pretty bad because this was the law of God. When Jacob was coming out of the womb, he grabbed for Esau's heel. I, was, I remember thinking about this years ago. I mean, he grabbed for the heel. Well, of course, that was probably the last thing he had reached, but it's interesting that it was the heel, and it's under the heel that Satan is tread, trodden under our feet. It's the heel, speaking of the walk, speaking of authority, speaking of dominion over the enemy. He was grabbing for it, even as a baby in the womb, there was something in Jacob that was grabbing for that dominion, that authority, and that birthright before he knew anything else in life, even though he was going to grow up in life and not be able to get it. And 
you know the story of Jacob. He, his name means supplanter. We always think of, yeah, he was a deceiver. He was always tricking his brother. His mother got in on it. You know, he, was, he lived a life of, of, of not really walking like this godly, incredible, always hit God's agenda, God's ways. But he was, but God never judged Jacob. Do you see one scripture in the Bible where God says, I'm angry at Jacob for being that kind of a person? See, there was something in Jacob. He didn't do it the right way, but he wanted it anyway. There was something in him that knew that it couldn't just be the God of Abraham. It just couldn't be the God of Isaac. There had to be the God of Jacob. He knew there had to be that. He knew there was something in his life. And he had to end up saying, not the God of Abraham, not the God of Isaac, but, but the God's plan would never be fulfilled if it was not the God of John, not the God of Keith. You see, in other words, like every single human being, there comes that, there comes that moment in your life where something will change your life and you will own up to the fact that it will be the God of Earl. It will be the God of Keith. I will be a part of God's plan to bring his dominion in the earth and establish the glory and the throne of Jesus Christ among men. I will be a part of seeing the glory of the latter house be greater than the former. I will not be of those that fall away, but I will be of those that rise up and become all that God wants me to come. I will shake sleep. I somehow, some way, I will. I will. There's this thing inside of you that the enemy will always try to kill. And I just pray this morning that God will ignite it feet in some of your life because of his goodness. It really doesn't matter where you're at right now. All that matters is what fire. Fire, there's only one temperature in the kingdom, it's fire. And it's not, oh, you got a personality like that. Don't tell me what my personality is. I was shy, I wouldn't talk to anybody. Please don't tell me what my personality was like. Well, I'm not like you. Don't be like me. I'm not like you either. But I'm going to tell you, when fire touches you and fire touches me, it has the same effect. So don't make an excuse for personality is why you can't be sold out, surrendered, and on fire for God. Be on fire for God in the realm that God places you in and the sphere of influence you are in. But anything less than fire is beneath the dignity of who you are. If there's anybody that's going to be the people of fire in the earth, it's not going to be the ungodly. It's going to be the Christians. And, and Jesus was the fire walking, burning bush of God. But uh, and what does fire look like? Compassion, healing sorrows, feeling pain, touching human beings, reaching. Loving, caring, healing, destroying, empowering. Okay, let's go to um, Esau. That's Jacob. A little bit about his life, and we'll finish with that. But Jacob in Genesis 32, 24. See, I, don't, I understand all the arguments of Arminianism and Calvinism, pre-election and destination, and all of that stuff. This is a passage that everybody wants to get into. Oh, uh, Esau, you know, became the Muslims, and Esau became this, and I hate, you know, and he, he loved Jacob, who became Israel, and he predestined Jacob, and he predestined Israel, uh, Esau. There's all, the, everything you study in the, in the commentaries is all about that. But many, many, many years ago, I just said, there must be another reason why God doesn't, God loves everyone. So he loved Esau. So for him to say he hate Esau, it's inconsistent with who he is. So therefore, what was it about Esau that he disliked? And what was it about Jacob that he liked? There must have been something about these two men that caused God to have that feeling of distaste for, the, for something and have this enjoyment of something in this other man. I mean, there was nothing said about Esau at all, that he was anything at all like Jacob. I mean, they have a story after story of Jacob tricking people, doing this, you know, all of that. So you don't see anything like Esau was anything like that at all. Not one scripture in the Old Testament. Nothing. And then this one day, he sells his birthright for stew. 
And it so hits God's heart that he calls him a profane person in Hebrews 12. Said, so don't be like this profane Esau. Don't be like him. And you're going like, man, I mean, like it seems so harsh, profane. Calls a man profane, but it's because of what he did. And Jacob, he says, I love Jacob, even after all he did. What was it about Jacob God loved? What was it about Esau God hated? God hated any attitude that would literally give away all that Jesus paid for and, and, and not get it in this life. Jesus paid blood for certain things in our life. And, and the thing is, guess what? They're all good things. It's called our inheritance. It's called our inheritance. And our inheritance is the stuff that we get, our needs, our stuff, our identity. It's what we can bring and do in the earth to give Jesus drink with our life. There's always some excuse in my life, believe me, that will come along in my life and your life that will give me a reason to be tepid, to give me a reason to be mediocre, to give me a reason to give up in my exhaustion. And, and I understand when you're exhausted and when you're weary and when you go through a lot of things, especially you've been on the front lines of missions and stuff like that, and you go through many things in your life or you go through persecution or you go through slander or you go through lies or judgments in the body of Christ, all this kind of stuff. It gets weary at times. You're weary at times, and, you, and you, that's the time you want to you get hit. A lot of these ministers get hit with their pornography. They get hit with another woman. They get hit with power. They get hit with this. They get hit with that. They get hit with 12 hours a day of TV, you know, something like that, instead of maybe just one. You know what I mean? I mean, so whatever caused them to be drawn away from the fire that should be inside their life, the enemy will go after them to try to wipe it out. But I, I, I you know, we, we, um, my wife loves candles, so we buy those big things, you know. I mean, all it takes is, boom, the candle starts again. Right? That's why I love God so much. It doesn't matter where I'm at today. God can just start me up all again. <laughs> and he only deals with me where I'm at now. He forgets all the rest. And there's the fire again. There's the zeal again. There's the love again. There's the faith again. There's the prayer again. There's the getting up again. So I never get beat down. I wouldn't listen to that lie of the devil when I go through hard things and things. Come on. We're all going to go through these things, but I want to tell you, you have an inheritance. And Jesus paid blood for that inheritance. And it ain't over yet. It doesn't matter what's happened up till today. It came a moment in Jacob's life where he was going to get it. It didn't matter how many years he didn't do it right. How many mistakes he made. I love this. How many things he could have done better or done differently. There came a moment, and it's a moment in time, where God was able to bring Jacob, change his name, and win. God loved Jacob because he never let go going for that hill. He just never quit reaching for that hill. He never quit. His whole life. So there came a day, of course, you know the story in Genesis, where Esau, who was tricked by his brother, hated his brother, was going to come and kill him, which would have been the end of Jacob's inheritance, I'm sure. You know, I'm people say, oh, you went to heaven. I, I really don't like this theology that rids me, rids, gets, gets me out of the planet to go to heaven before I'm done. I've instructed people, unless I'm not walking right with God, God ought to get me out to save my soul. Something, you know, you, you, you try to raise me from the dead. You, you just don't allow this in my life unless you're convinced I'm done with what I'm supposed to be doing. Everybody's got instructions. If that ever happens to me, you get on a plane, you try to raise me from the dead and go out a little bit, spend some time. Because I'm not so sure. I can't do nothing up there. It's all about me or is it all about him? 
For the enemy's lied to so many of you about your incredible royalty, your incredible gift that you are to humanity, the incredible person you are, the incredible man or woman of God you are, the incredible difference you can make in the world because he works, he lies to us that we don't even get excited about stuff like this because you already feel like you whipped. You already feel like you whipped. You feel like I'm destined to be a nobody, do nothing, or do a little or something, but I'm not called to change the world. That is not biblical. I've told you this before. The word born in the Greek means to come on the stage, appear in history, and be the beginning of miracles. Look it up. Strong's concordance. That means by identity you're a history maker. By identity you're a signs and wonders person. Matt pastored like five churches already before I ever understood that. I read that, I go, oh man, I wish I would have known that. I could have told my people, you have to go through all the loop, all these loops and stuff to become a man of God. I just turned around and said, sorry guys, I learned something in the Bible, you know, and didn't know, apologize to you. Here's what I learned. You know, so then everybody that got saved, I told them right, off, right in the beginning, this is who you really are according to God. This is what you're going to do on the earth. I started giving them their identity before they figured out the cigarette doesn't go in their nose anymore. He's smiling. You smile. You actually, you have a cadence of smiling. You smile at certain times when I say certain things. He smiles. And all, you know, I don't know about anybody else, but praise God. I'm all excited this morning. I'm so glad you're excited. Genesis. I'm so happy. Genesis 32:24. Then Jacob was left alone, and that's what'll happen to you. Some people choose to be alone. Say, I'm with the you know Jacob experience. No, you're not. You're deceived. When you when you're left alone, this is why you're left alone. You'll be abandoned by the body of Christ. You'll be, you'll, you'll go through different things. I mean, we all go through different things. We feel alone, abandoned, not loved, not cared for. Um, you know, the body of Christ hasn't learned yet that they're their brother's keeper well enough yet, but they will. It's all going to be good. It's all good. Like my wife said, it's all going to be good. That's why I can look at something and say, mm, that looks kind of negative. But on the flip side, it's going to be like this. So I can't have negativity or uh, realities that are not very fun to look at when it comes to th certain things to, to cause me to actually buy into that atmosphere and then, be, and then produce that darkness. But everything God can turn it around. God's a miracle worker. He's a signs and wonder God. He can change. He can knock people off horses, change them in a day. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. He's amazing. If I didn't believe that, believe me, I wouldn't be standing here today. Jacob, the heel catcher, he was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said, what is your name? My name is Jacob. Sometimes we want to be prophesied about what our name will be. But, and the part of the journey is becoming what the name that God gives us. It's coming to the place where we recognize what our name is. Your name, he said, my name is Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And show how Jacob's heart was how it changed by that. He said, what's your name? What's your name? I'm glad you're talking. I'm glad I'm tuning in. Every prophetic word, we always think it's about us. It's about him. It's about him. It's about him. It's not about us. It's about us and him. It's about him. Everything God says, you're going to be this. You're this. I had one guy recently just want to tell me I was going to be ordained an apostle. I said, why in the world do I need to be diving this in the conversation? 
I mean, like, are you insecure? You know, I'm like, I mean, there's nothing really wrong with that. But it's like, is it necessary? I mean, is that the way we start identity? Well, I'm called to be this, and I'm going to be this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. That's awesome. We should celebrate one another, but not, not at the expense of you. are not going to do something either. Because it's all for him. If you're apostolic, it's for him. If you're prophetic, it's for him. If you've got a gift, it's for him. If you've got power, it's for him. If you've got revelation, it's for him. You know how to teach, it's for him. If you've got a gift of giving, give and shut up. It's for him. Never talk about it again. Otherwise, it was never for him. It's always for him. Everything's for him. Everything we've done is for him. It's all, all for him. He's glorious. He's wonderful. He's for him. He's beautiful. He's incredible. It's for him. What we were was damned. First place, tied. We're all tied. Damn. We get the trophy of damned. First place. All we were. So any glory, any gift, any anointing, any power, any ability, any articulation skills, any music skills, hearing from this, ushering people into that, doing this, is given freely because blood was paid to release this in all of our lives so we can live in the wonder of worship. That's how you live in the wonder of worship. Wow. I mean, wow, God, I get the chance to do this for you. I get to preach for you. I get to heal the sick for you. I get to tell somebody about you. I get to give for you. I get to extend your heart for you. Oh, wow, God. We live in the wonder of identity because it's all for him. So he keeps giving you more. He keeps giving you more with that attitude because he's so attracted to that kind of heart. He'll give you more power, more grace, more of this. He'll do it. Why? It's because you only want to give him a name. You don't care about your own. He never said, anyway, the word, the word thigh actually speaks of generative parts, the parts of your body that create. That was what was struck by that man angel. Why? Because whether it's Jacob or whether it's Earl, whether it's you or whether it's someone else, the hardest struggle in life is to let God have his own agenda, do it his own way and not my way. And I, for God to be glorified fully in all of our lives, there comes a day where all of a sudden something changes in our perspective of reality, like you're broken. All that broken means is that you're stark naked real, like it says in a brokenness as AA or Alcoholic Anonymous or whatever that thing is, means stark, raving, brutal honesty. That's humility. That's the definition of humility. Stark, raving, brutal honesty. See, Jacob, he said, what's your name? I want you to be, I want you to be real about who you are, Jacob. Well, I'm a supplanter. But the word supplanter also means to dispossess kings and kingdoms. See, there was authority in this boy. There was something inside him that would not be settled to fall short. And that's the beauty. That's the whole thing of the message. You know, the whole thing of the message. Really. I mean, like, I don't know who I'm talking to. But I'm just, all I'm saying is this. is just that whatever your name is today, God, it's funny, it's not the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Israel. If you change his name, how can we call him the God of Jacob? Because he wanted us to be encouraged that he can become our God too. And we can have our inheritance too. And we can fulfill what God wants for us too. But what he loved about Jacob is that he refused to give up. He refused to not hunger. He refused to not go after God. I don't know if you've ever been in a protracted season of hunger. hunger um, and you're so hungry for something. For him. And the months go by. And the temptations come. And no one else seems to be doing it. And they're getting touched by God in some ways. But you know, that's not where you want to end. That's not where you want to end. 
I mean, I remember, I remember certain seasons like that. You get so hungry, and I'm getting that way again too, and I'm enjoying it. It's kind of, you get so hungry. You know, that was when I was in my 40s or my 50s. Only 60s, now in my later 60s. And there's a tendency to not, not hunger. There's different things that happen. So I was like, and I said, what am I going to do? What, what, what option do I have? Leave him without a fame, without a glory, without a name? What excuse can I give to God? What, what excuse can I give? Why am I alive? Why, why, why do I do this thing? Why am I a Christian? So you get, he had to answer all those questions all over again, no matter how hard it's been. He's a... He's a wonder worker. We are the wonders. So I was going to preach on Gideon, you guys. I didn't. But it says that God wore Gideon like a glove or clothed himself with Gideon. And Gideon, was, Gideon had a heart to do something for God, to keep the wheat from the enemy who was taking the wheat and robbing the people, impoverishing the people of Israel. God saw that heart to do what he could do to try to help the cause of Israel. And God said, hey, you, mighty man. He saw a heart in this guy. Hey, you, mighty man. What are you talking about? I'm a least child. I got this. My family's this. I'm this. I'm this. And so I gave him all the excuses. And God goes, that's great. Now just go do this. So I believe God wants to wear everybody in this room like a glove. I believe he wants to wear everybody in this room like a glove in the area. Because you, and you fit the glove that God has for you. He wants to wear you the way he wants to wear you. He'll wear me the way he wants to wear me. But he wants to wear us. How are we doing? Uh, let's go to Ezekiel 37. So what he loved about Jacob is that if you've lost your fire, lost your hunger, things have happened in your life, I am so encouraged for you. Because that's why I love God. I, I, mean, I tell my wife sometimes, I go, I'm so glad he's a quickener. She goes, what do you mean? I go, I, I think I live my life so much these last, last six, seven months. I need to be quickened. Quickened. You know, I'm a quickened, you know. And I, I learned something from her and I learned something from life is that something about coming to the end of yourself and, you, and you, it doesn't work anymore, doing it your way, or you're not being changed, doing it this way, or things ain't being fulfilled in your prophetic promises that way. I mean, you get to the point where you're kind of alone with God. You're going like, this is really looking too good right now. Is that you got a word for me. You know, I mean, can you do, you got to change something in me. I'm not where I want to be. And that's a healthy place to be. That's not a condemning place. That's a victorious place. Then all of a sudden the Holy Ghost can come on you right there and quicken you and give you the revelation. You're going to live in the kingdom as a lifestyle, not as a revival meeting. You have to take a trip to Red and you get there. God forbid that I have to go to a place to have to live in the place called there. I'm not going to, I don't have to live in a, pl go, live in a place to go to a place called there when he's right where I'm at. So I've got to learn how to receive and enjoy and all of that, but I've got to learn how to walk all alone with God where the Jacob is being removed and the Israel is rising in my life. And everywhere I go, I have a destiny every single day because I'm on fire because I have an inheritance. So don't ever give up on yourself. Don't ever, 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 ever give an excuse for yourself. Everyone in this church, I don't give a rip. That's New York phraseology for the King James. I don't give a rip. I don't give a rip. You don't have to believe it right now. I don't care. I pray that some of these words become like depth charges inside of you and they blow up on Thursday. You'll be all of a sudden. To me, it's all grace. It's all good. I'm happy. I'm happy. Because it's okay to be Jacob. Yeah. 
Somebody was talking to me last night about persecution that I experienced and whatever, the body crisis, one situation. And they're going, I really think it's just going to be a vindication. I go, I could care less. They go, what do you mean? Because I'm not about vindication. I don't need to be vindicated. But if there was something in me that person was robbed of, then yes, whatever God wants to do has nothing to do with, I need to feel good because I've already learned my acceptance is from Papa and that's it. Whoever wants to jump on the bandwagon, praise Jesus. If they're not on the bandwagon, I'm not going to be insecure because I'm not liked, loved, appreciated by human beings. It's never going to work if you want to do the great things for God and see God become the great one because then you're better than your master. He was treated certain ways, and look at what he did. If you're treated certain ways, it's not for your defeat. It's not for hours. It's not for us to remain in baby stages and cribs. It's to rise up and say, you know what? So what? God bless it. Do you have any enemies? You are blessed. You have people that lie about you? Praise the name of the Lord. Bless them. Pray for them. Speak well of them. And become a Christian in the midst of it all. Some of you, in a, uh, there's a scripture that says, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, was in the deserts of the day of his showing unto Israel. He was in the deserts alone, the wilderness, wild beasts, alone, torn, thorns, flesh. He was in the wilderness of the day of his revealing, apocalypsis, until it was seen. And he, the, word, the word in the Greek, he waxed strong. The word waxed strong means he gained the dominion. He gained dominion over that evil. He gained dominion over that pornography. He gained dominion over that pride. He gained dominion over those areas of life so God could raise him up and make him a leader. I had so much fun with your son. I had so much fun with you in the, what do you call it, the summit, something. We had so much fun together, hanging out with you guys. That's kind of like, you know, and all that matters for you this season is to think as big as you possibly can be and be obedient. That's it. All you need to do is think as big as God wants to think in your head. Don't pay attention to anything around you except what are you wanting to say to me? Because I will change this world before I leave it. And I recognize who I am and I'm unwilling to come short of anything. I love my dad. I love his church. I love Bethel. I love this. I love that. But I am set apart to gain the dominion to be released in leadership so that everyone is around me 24 hours a day so I want to be like that man when I die. So don't, don't ever lose your singular focus on life with anything that's around you. Don't lose it. Go after it. Go after it. Go after it. All you've done is scratch the surface these last three years when it comes to your life. All you've done is scratch the surface when it comes to the last, the last three years of your life. No matter what you've seen, and I know you've seen stuff. And I know you've received stuff. I know. But you just scratch the surface of your inheritance. Go after it. Because what happens in you receiving your inheritance actually has a ripple effect on your entire family. Has a ripple effect, effect on every single family member and on all of your legacy. But your God is very jealous over you. So I pick on you, but he's very jealous over you right now in your life. Jealous, you know, because you're transitioning. So you need to be very careful about the transition, what that looks like. Don't let anybody tell you what that transition is until God has. And if God hasn't, then you wait till he does. Sorry. Make sense? These are serious things. This is kind of a serious message. I realize that. So what am I supposed to do? I mean, I get reports every day of people in countries that I love getting killed. You know, I get, I get, you know, I, I mean, like, I mean, this is a real world out here. I do not want to live in this phony, phony alternate reality called the Christianity in the West. 
I don't want that. I want to live full on where I'm at, no matter what, what we're going through, what we're dealing with, every day and have a life. I want to, I want to have the question answered by everyone. I made this a big deal now that if you live with me 24 hours a day, would you want to be like me? Or would you say, thank God I'm not? So I've changed some of my focus to even like, I want to be like to live 24 hours a day, you know, in such a way that people will realize what the wonder working power of God's grace and who God can really be in a human being. I want to be like that. I don't want to always be wallowing in some area that I'm always trying to conquer. I want to have conquered and walk in an area in my promised land that God has for me. So people say this, Pastor, I'm real. I'm very open. Anyone knows me, I'll tell you anything. I'm very honest. I don't, I'm not very reverent, I guess, so apostolic or whatever whatever you might think or whatever i'm a real person but i'm not supposed to stay in some <laughs> he's laughing because he knows me it's kind of like um you're laughing too much though you're laughing too much <laughs> so that's that's laughing too much <laughs> okay fine but anyway that's bearing witness so it's okay to be real and stuff it's okay i mean i bet you i i, I noticed you first thing today when i came in you. You say, really? Yeah, you. I noticed you first thing today. And, and you're going and like, yeah, well, what are you looking at me? I didn't try to look at you. I'm trying to tell you right now. I didn't try to look at either of you guys, all right? And I don't know why. I just felt love for you guys. It was like you guys were smiling back at me and going like this and hi. Or I don't even know how you're handling this message. You might be going like, when's this guy done? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, you know, he's going, yeah. I mean, like, I like honesty, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But I'm not done. Okay? <laughs> and now you're smiling. Look at both of them. They are smiling more than they've ever smiled since 10 o'clock this morning. And I'm not picking on your smile. For whatever reason, and then look at the beautiful smile that woman has. That smile belongs to people. What a beautiful smile that gives life. You have just something about the way you smile that causes people to feel good about themselves. Well, look the way you smile. I didn't make you smile. You're just laughing at me in my face or something. I don't know what's going on with you guys. I don't know what I said that would make you start laughing like you're laughing. But joy is better than something else, right? <laughs> and I felt you guys have been through things and stuff like that. I want to make sure you were prayed for and stuff. You know, you get this thing inside of you. Just, you just want people to win. You just want them to be blessed. You just, you want them to, to make it through. You want to realize who they really are. You don't really know who you really are. You're an awesome guy. You don't even really know it. Not the way you should know it. You just don't know it. Okay? Don't give me a hard time. Come on. I've been really mellow today. I've been really behaving. Come on, guys. Praise Jesus. There's the Spirit of God. There's the Spirit of God right there. Last scripture, I'm done. I am done. That's what people say. How about some pastors say that? Now, one more scripture and I'm done. You know they're lying. <laughs> In fact, his pastor in Bethel lied like all the time. When I'm done. We knew he wasn't done. I'm going to end this way. The hand of the Lord came upon me, brought me down, and the Spirit of the Lord set me in the midst of the valley, and I was full of bones, and they were very dry. Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. So this is what I call the wonder-working part of the message. It's okay if you're dry. 
It's okay if somehow you're not full of the faith you'd like to be. It's okay if somehow your hope for certain things is not alive anymore. It's okay. It's okay if you got really weary too and you really got tired or you're struggling or you're sick or you're just blah or you're not where you used to be maybe or you're not sure if you're going to ever be maybe really doesn't matter it's one of the most refreshing and beautiful scriptures in the bible god says to the prophet look around tell me what you see tell me what you see and i want you to prophesy to my breath you know we're going to pray for keith his wife just passed away from lou gehrig's disease and i mean i'll be speaking at a celebration of life next week which is really a great honor and you know little girl's disease you fight for your breath you know and i remember her fighting for her breath sometimes i walked away i believe for miracles to the end he knows that and i do there's enough doubters in the world i, I don't want to be one of them i'm gonna do everything i can to believe that god is amazing i'm just gonna do that no matter what anyone thinks no matter how many times it fails I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to give up giving God a chance to be extraordinary. And we're going to figure out why he is and we're going to figure it out. But I just can't handle that. But I did walk out of that room one time, fully expecting to see you again, realizing, my God, I don't fight for my breath. I don't fight for my breath. I breathe. I don't fight to breathe. I can breathe. And I go, Lord, I mean, let every breath, let every breath in my life be a breath of life. Let every breath count. Let every breath count. I mean, do whatever you got. There's nothing wrong with you saying, do whatever you got to do in me to make every breath count. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm Jacob, but man, I don't want to be Jacob in this area of my life. I want to be Israel. I want to be Israel. Breathe on me again. It said, it said the Lord, breathe on the slain. Breathe on that which was dead. Breathe on that which was lost. Breathe on that which was cut off. There's something about the Holy Ghost and the breath and the winds of God that can blow across our life. In one moment, we come alive. In one moment, we have hope again. In one moment, we're healed. In one moment, something comes alive. In one moment, something's restored. That's the power of the breath of God. We don't need more prayer meetings, you know, or more Bible studies or more sermons only. We need the breath. We need the very thing God's ordained to quicken us. Um, he needs to breathe. And that's what you're in that place where like, if he doesn't breathe, you're slain. If he doesn't breathe, you lose hope. If he doesn't breathe, you're done. See, that's what Jacob came to. He came to that place alone. If God didn't intervene, Esau was going to kill him. And when God intervened, he won this way. We try to win too much this way. We win this way. And when Esau came, he jumped on him and wept all over him. And God did a miracle. I'm convinced more than ever, in these days, we're going to live really by the breath and the miracles, not in our own strength. And we're going to see the things we really want. You guys are great people. I love coming. I love you guys. Your family, whether you like it or not, you're my family. And it's kind of like uh, your family. I like him. He's family. And his wife smiles. She's married him. She's family. Kids are family. Got a bunch of them. They're family. And, it's, it's, and you say, well, why do you come here? I just come here to, to be some good. Yeah. 
Even if it's that much, I'll come. I'll come 600 miles for it. You know, because I just feel like I needed to be here. I just felt like I needed to be here. Maybe say one thing. Maybe touch one person. Maybe it's on the way to the bathroom. But I have to breathe. I have to breathe. I have to breathe. And you have to breathe. We need you. God needs you. You have to breathe. One collective breath can touch a region, can touch a community. One collective breath, if we all just breathe. And then we need to let God breathe on us today. So I want you to stand real quickly, because I know you guys have a time uh, thing. And it's not a restraint. It's just a time. We put a bad road on something, you know. I love him, I believe in him, I believe in his wife, and that's why I come, I like him. You can do worship if you want, I don't know, he's on his way up. Uh, I want you to doubt if you want to pray for some people, do whatever you want. I mean, there's no program in heaven, it's all 24-hour constant been going on for eternity, so jump in. Well, uh, I, I just want to pray that we'll pray individually. I'll let the pastor have a moment to send me to the nations, and then we'll get right back on praying for everybody. And I'm here as long as you're here. And so um, I want to pray for Keith, you know, I want to pray for anyone else. I want to, uh, since you're back here, you know, anybody that got, you got a prophetic team, you got people that minister, you know, um, I'm a candidate. Anybody else who wants to be prayed for is fine with me. You know, I'll invite people to your church so they can minister to by you. I did last night. I invited people to church to come and they can be ministered by you, not me. I believe in the house, I believe in God's building, I believe in the vision, and you are going through some transitions, you're going to hit some amazing, interesting moments in God, out of those moments, the importation that comes into your life will be the importation that flows through your life to other people, you can't give away what you don't have and you haven't become, and you are just in for such a ride with the Spirit of God, tears down every lie, in your mind and in your heart about you, about him, about the call of God. Break down every wall that's keeping his glory from coming in your life in any way. It's all good. He's such a precious man. I've never met anyone in the Northwest that doesn't say and do it. And use these words. He's a precious man of God. I've talked to two pastors already. I said, yeah, I know this guy. Oh, yeah, he's this guy. He's like, he's this. A precious man of God. And there's a precious womb of men and women of God. You're a preacher.